Did you know that most vitamin D3 supplements come from sheep's wool? I'm Kat, founder of Ritual. We're making traceability the new standard for the supplement industry. When I was pregnant, I couldn't find a multivitamin I could trust, so I created my own. Ours is made traceable, third-party tested, and clean label project certified. Oh, and our vitamin D3? It comes from sustainably harvested lichen from England, not sheep. Trace for yourself with 25% off at ritual.com slash podcast. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Get ready, Ohio. FanDuel, America's number one sports book, is coming to the Buckeye State. And to kick things off, you can get started with $100 in free bets as an early sign-up bonus. Plus, when you sign up today with promo code OHIOFD, you'll be all set when FanDuel goes live in Ohio. Then you can bet on all your favorite teams in all your favorite sports with $100 in free bets. Just download FanDuel's top-rated sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Ohio, this is your chance to get in on the action. Join today with promo code OHIOFD. Make every moment more with FanDuel official sportsbook partner of the NFL. 21 or older and present in Ohio. Bonus issued in non-withdrawable free bets that expire seven days after FanDuel accepts its first real money sports wager in Ohio, one Unique user identity verification required. Offer ends on the go-live date. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from RootMetric's second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement. Introducing the Lowe's List for Innovation. While our aisles are filled with innovative products, we've selected our favorites just for you. Like the exclusive Whirlpool washer with industry-first two-in-one removable agitator. We love this washer because you can customize any load. And with other smart features to streamline your laundry routine, this product is a must-have for families. Shop the full Lowe's list of top picks at Lowe's.com. Lowe's, home to any budget, home to any possibility. U.S. only. It's another film study. We get to look at that beautiful offensive performance up in New England this weekend. Ken McCusick, how you doing? Life's good, Josh. How about you? It's all good down here. Can't complain about anything. Um, we got a re- return guest today, Clifton Brown from the Ravens and the host of Black in the NFL, which I believe episode four just came out yesterday or the day before when I was looking at Actually, right. today, Tuesday it did, yes. Okay. Uh, I knew it popped up on my phone. I looked at you got Anquan Bolden on there and stuff today. So how's that podcast going? Is that getting received well? Uh, yeah, we're getting a lot of positive feedback, actually. And uh, I think some definitely 
uh, discussion is compelling and definitely interesting. Uh, and yes, I think it's going going very well. So today's episode, Players in Policing, Anquan Boulder was on along with uh, Mark Ingram, uh, were the two Ravens guests. And uh, yeah, I, I encourage people to tune in and listen and really appreciate the support. All right. And Ken, as we get into this New England game, is there has there been another game that you were so happy to watch from home instead of in the stands, like this weather up north? Yeah, it's awful weather, obviously, but an awful game to watch at all. I had me screaming at the TV set all night, and uh, those injuries were, were the worst. Uh, they really I – can, I can live with the loss. I, I have a really hard time dealing with the fallout from the injuries and what this may mean for the 2020 Ravens. All right. I, I totally. And before we get into that, let me just remind everyone real quick that this show is brought to you by MyBookie like the past few weeks. Head on over to MyBookie and use the code RAVENS. Uh, looking ahead, the Ravens right now are four-and-a-half-point favorites over on MyBookie. So um, you can do what you will with that, whether you bet for the Titans or the Ravens. That's where the line is right now. And make sure you use the code RAVENS so they do that dollar-for-dollar dollar match. All right, so let's move on to the Ravens' current state here because with seven weeks to go in this season, they're very much in the wild-card hunt here. And... The problem is that they have so many significant injuries that are going to have to change the structure of how they play. And we'll start on the offensive side where Boyle is an enormous part of the offensive playbook. And how will the Ravens move on without him, Cliff? Well, they'll have to figure it out, but it's certainly going to be more difficult. He's definitely one of the best blocking tight ends in NFL. And as much as the Ravens love to run the football and use combination blocks, He's a big part of that, as, as well as being, you know, a receiver who's gotten better every year in that department. He was hurt on a play actually catching the football rather than blocking. So, yeah, they're going to miss him. Um, obviously, more of a burden is going to fall on Mark Andrews at tight end. I definitely feel that the other weapons, uh, whether it be wide receivers, running backs, they're all going to have to step up, and certainly the offensive line, too. I mean, Nick Boyle's like an extra offensive lineman, the way he can block, not having him and then having the injuries that they have on the offensive line already, it is going to be a, another obstacle that they have to find a way to overcome. Yeah, it's kind of interesting because the Ravens are already, to my way of thinking, playing shorthanded at tight end. They had three tight ends on the roster, all three pretty good players, but they didn't duplicate in any way what they had last year. Uh, with Hayden Hurst being that extra wild card they could put on for 13 personnel, a guy who not only was probably had the best set of hands on the team, but also was a guy who could get into level two and level three and have the agility in space to make really good blocks. Yeah, I mean, to me, this will just be a continuing evolution of not being the same as 2019. I mean, to me, this whole season, uh, particularly around Baltimore, there's been so much comparison to what they did last year. And to me, football, more than any sport, any of the major sports, things can change dramatically from year to year. And um, whatever the 2020 Ravens are going to ultimately be, is going to be different than 2019. That's, that should be crystal clear by now. So that does not mean the Ravens season is over, that they can't make the playoffs and they can't do something once they get to the playoffs but they're going to have to do it a different way than they did in 2019 and losing Nick Boyle for the season. 
then that's just another part of that. I think they are going to have to rely on their passing game a little more. Uh, they're going to have to be a little more diversified offensively, and it would definitely help if they could find a way to get a few more big plays at some point this season. They're not going to be the, the type of team that can methodically week after week, I don't think, dominate at the line of scrimmage, so they're going to have to find other ways to win. Yeah, they certainly haven't had any of the really long passes down the field, but I want to get something else, get back to something else you mentioned, because the offensive line cohesion was really a hallmark of that 2019 team. And again, I'm in completely agreement with you that you can't, you know, set the standard as 2019. That was a 14 and two team. It was a historic offense with a historic year out of their quarterback. You can't set the bar there. But the cohesion would have been a nice thing to to continue, even though it wouldn't have been the same players with the loss of Marshall Yonda. Now it looks like next week it's possible all five offensive linemen will be at a different spot if they decide Matt Skura can't continue at center with the snapping problems he had. Yeah, well, cohesion definitely is, is important for the offensive line. And that became an impossibility once Ronnie Stanley went down for the year, uh, you know, the Ravens started off, you know, with starting Tyree Phillips, who's also been hurt uh, as a, as a new right guard in place of Yonda and really felt like they had a, had the makings of a very good offensive line. And then of course, losing a player like Stanley uh, Phillips being out now for, for a while. Uh, and then, you know, I, I definitely can understand the decision to move Orlando Brown from right tackle to left tackle. They're, they're fortunate enough to have a, a talented player that talented who can do that, but that that created another change. And then, obviously, Mascara has had some problems now with snaps in the last couple of weeks. So the offensive line, to me, is, is a major key to the Ravens the rest of the way, maybe the biggest key. Uh, they, they should get Phillips back at some point. Uh, Orlando Brown certainly talented enough to handle the, the, the left tackle spot. Uh, we know that Scurra can play better than he has the last couple of weeks. So hopefully he, he gets back on track. But yes, the cohesion and the play of the offensive line, not only in the running game, protecting Lamar, uh, it's going to be a huge factor as far as how far the Ravens go, how well the offensive line can play from this point moving forward. Yeah, no doubt about it. Uh, on the defensive side of the ball, and we're doing the offensive pod, but we should mention this anyway, you know, they're going to have to face a Tennessee team that obviously relies heavily on a running game or is very effective doing it and beat the Ravens with it in the playoff game last year. Uh, they need to find some ways, in my opinion, to overcome being small along that DL uh, this next week. I mean, that's a group that uh, the, the Titans offensive line is pretty good, but the Ravens' defensive line is pretty bad without Williams or Campbell. Well, yeah, I mean, if you want to go worst-case scenario and say that neither Calais or Brandon play, then I feel like the Ravens, this could be a week where they do a lot of, of run blitzing. I think Justin Matabuike mm -hmm. has played really well, you know, really all year, and I think Broderick, Broderick Washington definitely shows some flashes against the Patriots. You'll see... A lot of them, uh, Justin Ellis, too. You'll see a lot of him. And then, obviously, Derek Wolf. But, you know, the Patriots, a lot of reasons they won that game. But, obviously, one of the big ones was 
they were able to run the football effectively, stay out of second and long, third and long, and the Ravens weren't able to blitz, uh, do a lot of the, the things they like to do to put pressures on quarterbacks and create turnovers. They never got to that. So I think this against the Titans, obviously, obviously stopping Derrick Henry is the number one priority. You may see a lot of blitzing just designed to stop the run. Uh, Patrick Queen, Malik Harrison, don't know if LJ Ford is going to be back, but you've got Pernell McPhee, Matt Judon, versatile player. I think you're going to see a lot of blitzing, or I would guess, designed to stop the run, get Derrick Henry on the ground before he builds momentum, and get Tennessee into second and long, third and long. Once the Ravens get you in obvious passing yep. situations, they can do some damage. I think that's going to be the goal. Yeah, obviously, big key there. I think they did do some run blitzing in this last game, by the way. Malik Harrison led the team in blitzes, and Queen did not have any pass blitzes. But the point is made that you know a lot of those blitzes that you see from an inside linebacker on a passing down, particularly when they start with play action, uh, very well can be identified as a run blitz. They're, they're, that's a, a player shooting a gap early to try and get a stop in the hole. And I, th- I think the Ravens certainly realized the problem. Late in the game, they had some real sellout jobs. They, they sent Marcus Peters on a run blitz at one point, and he, and he, took, he made a tackle. So totally agree on that point. And I think that's, that's probably where they need to start. I think they'll also activate Aaron Crawford for the game and go with five defensive linemen. There really is no other choice anywhere in, in the area code right now. Yeah, I mean, injuries uh, are a problem. No one likes to use them as an excuse. Uh, you can't really control them. Uh, and so, unfortunately, this is obviously a time where the Ravens are dealing with more injuries than at any point in the season. And, and yes, they're just going to have they're going to win, they're going to have to do it with a few different players in a few different ways. So, they do have a very deep roster, one of the – one of the best in the NFL, or deepest, I should say, that depth right now is being tested, and they're going to need some guys who are filling these roles to step up. Yeah, big time in, in terms of that depth being pet tested. It's been rare in the in the Ravens' past that I can recall it being tested as much, but if you think back to 07 in terms of what happened to the defensive backfield, uh, you know, there are other, there have been other years like that. 05 was, was equally bad, I would say, in terms of defensive backfield injuries. They certainly had some had some challenges. Let's move to the offensive line, talk individual scoring. I always set this up, Cliff, with a with a high-level look at, at the scoring as I saw it. 64 scored snaps in total, three penalties for 25 yards. That's too much. Uh, only one sack allowed by the offensive line, only one sack in total. They allowed no other quarterback hits. That's very good. Here's what's not good. Nine and a half pressures allowed, which was the second worst total of the season. And they came from all over. So as you'll see, a lot of players uh, had individual responsibility for that. I share responsibilities, which is why you get these fractional numbers that'll show up occasionally. Uh, They gave Jackson ATS a fair amount of the time, uh, just slightly under one third, which is not too bad. That's enough that Jackson can can make something happen on those plays. Uh, The run blocking included one and a half penetrations. Those are runs for losses. That's a big improvement, actually, from the Colts game where they had seven individual uh, runs for loss in that game. So that wasn't good. Uh, I'm going to just go right on to uh, Orlando Brown, who is first at left tackle. He had not surrendered a single pressure in 121 snaps at left tackle. He allowed three and a half in this game. Sorry, make that three in this game. I actually made a change right before the show. A third of a sack. Uh, He also missed 10 blocks. And one of the things that keeps showing up to me, Cliff, is when they do zone blocking schemes, particularly to the right, 
Orlando Brown is almost taken out of the play. And there, there, there are a couple of reasons for this. Number one is, as the trailing player, it's harder for him to make a block. And that was always the problem with left tackles like McKinney and whatnot. Stanley got was able to make more such blocks by getting to level two or even level three, trying to take out a cornerback on a play that's run away from him. Brown has much less foot speed. His best alternative to do to take out a player is a cut block at the immediate spot. He, I think he's been instructed by the Ravens not to do that anymore. I know they did it for McKinney at one point. The Ravens would be very smart not to risk the only guy who can play left tackle right now on cut blocks. Yeah, I mean, certainly that position, even though he loves playing there, to play it at a level that Ronnie Stanley was playing it, you know, is asking, you know, a whole, whole lot. Uh, Orlando, I think that, you know, they know what they have, and I think that he'll get better as the season progresses. He's, I think he's going to do fine there at that position. But again, you know, Ronnie Stanley, in my opinion, is the best player in the league at that position. So, yeah, I mean, it, it's a big loss that they're fortunate to have someone as town or Orlando filling. But yes, they are going to have to do a few things differently, probably without Ronnie being there. Yeah, so two, the first two games, uh, Stanley had played, sorry, Brown had played extremely well there, uh, A and a B. This game, he had a D. Uh, Ten missed blocks was a heavy consideration of that, but the three pressures were the first he's allowed, the, fir- the first uh, uh, pass rush events he's allowed since he moved over to left tackle. Bozeman, let's move on to him at left guard. Um, he had three, sorry, two pressures, uh, and that was one full and two half. Uh, one half a penetration, a third of a sack. He did make five out of five pulls. He had a decent game going. He would have had a B uh, late, but it was ruined by a late holding call, and that dropped into a D. I, you saw him kind of looking up at the Jumbotron, wondering about that call. It looked pretty much like a hold to me, even on the broadcast video. Yeah, I remember that play. Uh, and yes, um, I, I thought that the flag certainly uh, you know, was warranted there. And, you know, Bradley... To me, he's a guy that, you know, I'm impressed with him as a young player that I think that he he is still developing and is already pretty good. Uh, he got that job last year. It wasn't guaranteed. Mm-hmm. Uh, played better as the year went on. I think this year could be more the same. Um, again, this is a stretch run for this whole offensive line unit. Seven games to play. Uh, they really, the Ravens, need their offensive line to be steady they don't have to be spectacular but they need to be steady if they're going to be Bozeman's going to be a big part of that I think yeah I agree and I think Bozeman it's very close whether Bozeman or Brown has been their most consistent uh, offensive lineman since about the middle of last year so at least since the bye week of last year Bozeman went into that Seattle game at risk of losing his job and turned in his best performance of his career at that point last year and then this year he started off very well and has played there's been some variation as there is in all offensive linemen in game to game results, but, but he's generally, I think played pretty well and is one of the solid players. That's one of the reasons I'm kind of afraid about moving him to center, even though I think he might be the best choice there. Yeah. I mean, I definitely feel that uh, the best situation for the Ravens would be to leave him where he has played well and where he feels most comfortable. We all know that center carries a lot of responsibility. All positions do. But then, yes, to move him into center would, would put him in a new position with even more responsibility. So, 
Yeah, uh, he he is a left guard who, you know, can handle that position very well. Uh, we'll see what happens though. I mean, the Ravens at this point with the injuries, uh, they have to figure out the best five going forward. And if it means him moving, so be it. But yes, I do feel it might be better for the Ravens if he can just stay at that left guard position. All right. Now moving on to a guy who's really taken a big shoulder of the burden from for the for the loss in this game was Skura. Inaccurate snaps obviously were a big problem, and it marred what was strange is he had a very good blocking game, and it was really all about the bad snaps in this game that held him back. But otherwise, boy, he had a great game as a blocker that got forgotten. Uh, you know, obviously with some enormous negative plays and. You know, if if you if you want to really look at the value, the fourth the fourth down miss is is just has is tremendous high leverage play. But the uh, the other plays are are really like sacks when they when they end up there. The the other shotgun snaps that are inaccurate mess up the timing of the play, which happen at least once, maybe more than once. Uh, obviously, a concern as well. Yeah, I mean, no offense is really built to, you know, convert first downs when once you start getting into sex second and twenty fives and. You know, those are just drive killers, those bad snaps. Usually when you see that play happen, the drive's going to end uh, right after that. It's just too much to overcome. And, yeah, I mean, Skurrer, uh this year, he, he did a heck of a job just even being ready week one after that massive knee injury he had last year and to be the starting center. We know he can play better. This has not been an issue for him, these snaps, until the last couple of weeks. So... As Coach Harbaugh said Monday, no one feels worse about it than Skura. He's a tremendously hard worker, very conscientious, very tough. I feel that he'll clean this up, but certainly if it isn't fixed, it's something that you'll have to you'll have to fix because you cannot succeed uh if you're gonna be, you know, once, twice a game, uh having those uh, situations where a snap either leads to a turnover or kills drive it's just too much to overcome one of the things we talked about on the show last night briefly but i want to mention it again tonight because not everybody listens to both is that pitchers often have injuries which are to their fingers on their pitching hatch either the index finger or middle finger which are critical to gripping the ball and releasing it and that is the case with skura apparently has some sort of a cut at the end of his finger he was using a glove to snap the ball where he usually used the most intricate tape designed fingers i've ever seen on the sidelines. But anyway, he he uh, was using a glove last night. I wonder if that's impeding his ability to feel the football the same way and know when he's got the proper amount of juice on it. It's not like shotgun snaps have been ideal from Skura for his entire career. He has had problems with it. I'm not saying they've been, you know, skittering back 20 yards like they did, you know, on Sunday night, but I'm saying that they've, he's had problems directly snapping the ball. In fact, Last preseason, Patrick McCary took virtually every seven-on-seven uh, shotgun snap. Part of that preparing him for that, but but obviously McCary may be uh, at a point right now where he'd be a better shotgun snapper. Not that they can afford McCary to move to center at this point. Yeah, well, all eyes are going to be on this situation in practice this week, I'm sure. Uh, you know, Matt's going to have to show that these problems are behind him. Uh, if not, again... I don't anticipate the Ravens heading into the game Sunday feeling that this is going to be a problem. So uh, if it's Skura out there, then that'll tell, let you know that they feel that this is no longer an issue. 
if you see somebody else at that spot, then that to me would be indication that they felt like they had to make a change. Mm-hmm. Yep, it'll be interesting to see. I, 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 I think the Ravens will certainly keep it under wraps. That's the Harbaugh way in terms of say of, of letting people know what they're going to do. But it'd be interesting to see if Skura moves to left guard, if they do that, or if they decide Fluker maybe at guard might be the other alternative they would use. They really need a left guard because they have a right-handed run game. Uh, that left guard spot's important because he does most of the pulling for the team. And so whoever goes there needs to be fairly mobile. Skura has been moderately mobile, I'll say this year, not exceptionally mobile and certainly not the, the player he was before the knee injury. Yeah. I mean, as you said, they're certainly not going to uh, make an announcement of which way they're going to go. Uh, they do have options for sure. That's one of the things the Ravens have always tried to do is have offensive linemen who are versatile for situations just like this when you have injuries uh, where you can move certain players to different spots and still be effective. But, you know, again, this is a big week for the offensive line uh, to be the biggest one that I can remember for a while because of the injuries uh, and because of, of where they are, you know, in the AFC. I mean, they're six and three, but I believe there's, there's six teams in the AFC, I believe, or six and three. Um there's a lot of teams that have legitimate playoff shot, even though they've expanded, you know, and added an extra team this year. There'll be seven teams in the conference making it. There's about, you know, nine, at least nine teams you feel have a, have a real, real shot to make it. So they have to have their offensive line, you know, play well down the stretch for them to, you know, run off some, run off some wins and make sure that they, they get into the postseason. Yeah, absolutely. And a couple guys we haven't talked yet. I mean, Ben Bredesen and, and uh, Colon Castillo are also sitting on the active roster. They haven't really been in games. Bredesen, just a handful of snaps as a sixth offensive lineman. Colon Castillo, not at all. Uh, it'd be interesting to see if either one of them might be the choice at center. If for some reason, Skura couldn't go. But uh, let's go on to the rest of the offensive line. By the way, if you see the grades and you're wondering why this happened, Skura has an A-minus grade for me for this game. It's completely as a blocker. The way that I do adjustment, I never have a negative adjustment for anybody. It's always how much above the replacement level was their opponent and some other factors to give a positive adjustment. If I were to give a negative adjustment, I probably would drop them by about 20 points in this game for those plays because those were very significant negative events. But he gets an A minus. If anybody's wondering why that happened, the the, the snap counts or the uh, the bad snaps don't really count against him by as much as they should. Let's move on to Patrick McCary. Played his best game as a pro here, no doubt about it in my mind. Near perfect grade at right guard. Uh, he got a .99 adjusted on my basis. So he only missed one block. Uh, and he had a B-plus at right tackle where he allowed one pressure, uh, and that was in a full half of football. That's a hell of a half of football at right tackle for anybody. Uh, he went two for two on his pulls. Um, I have a mild concern about the conditions probably helping his game at right tackle, but hey, it was a good choice to go to it, at least for this game, and getting through this one because Fluker really looked like he was holding on every play, even though they only got called once. Yeah, well, kudos to McCarry for showing this early in his career that he can play center, right guard, and right tackle at NFL level pretty well. So, again, he's a player that gives them options moving forward. Um, you know, right tackle, obviously a very important position. If they need him to do that, he looks like he, he'll be able to handle that. And he's handled 
right guard before, and then obviously he was a starting center when Skura got hurt last year. So a promising young player, a guy who undrafted free agent, uh, has made the team made the team last year and has quickly become an important player. So yeah, they're fortunate to have McCarry in this situation. Certainly a good depth player and at right tackle does not have ideal arm length. Now, you know, he went, he went through his career at California playing left tackle and being an effective pass blocker despite that arm length. At the NFL, I think there's many more players who'll take advantage of you. We've already seen that. The action verb shed shows up on my offensive scoring sheet a lot for him, unfortunately. He is who he is, but I thought he did a great job. And he and Powers really combined on a lot of blocks on the right side that were very effective uh, on those on those edge rushers over there as Jackson had pretty good time to throw throughout a lot of that fourth quarter. Yeah, it's always good uh, for the Ravens when you see Lamar with the, with the clean pocket. We know he has the ability to to shake some rushers if necessary. But, yeah, Powers, interesting you mentioned him too, uh, a guy who hasn't played a lot, you know, since joining the Ravens. But the way things shake out, you know, going forward, he could become another guy who this could be his opportunity, you know, to, to play well. And I, I, I think definitely that's how these young guys should be approaching it, that this is an opportunity for playing time. Everybody on the outside is, is saying, oh, well, you know, what are the Ravens going to do now? Can they, can they, you know, win games with this offensive line? Uh, is this beginning of the end? I mean, for, for a young player, this is a great opportunity to step in and really be part of, you know, a team that, that still has a legitimate shot to do some big things. So, you know, Powers, this is his opportunity to step forward. And, you know, Joe DeLisandris, their offensive line coach, to me, is excellent. Uh, always pushing these guys to give them more. And I'm sure that he's going to make it clear to them that, look, you know, this is your time to step up. Let's see what you've got. So it'll be interesting to see who they do go with on the offensive line Sunday because you'll know for sure that that's the unit that looked the best during practice this week. Right. I mean, I think we're getting to a point where Powers cannot be denied a starting opportunity this next week. And the, the reason I say that is Powers has gotten relatively little playing time, obviously, since he got here. He got a half a game uh, split with Anger, I think it was, in the Pittsburgh game at the end of last year, played very well. He's played well in a few snaps, aside from one holding call that I, I kind of thought was bogus this year before this game. This game, he had two pressures allowed and a half of football at right guard, a B-plus score. I don't know. He didn't miss any other blocks, by the way, which is really good. Um, I, I don't know how you deny him a spot with the offensive line otherwise in shambles. So it may be McCary starts at right tackle, and it may be Power starts at right guard. It may be they drop Skura, move Bozeman, and put him in at left guard. But I, I think we're at a point where Powers really has to get a start somewhere along the offensive line. Uh, in this next game. Right guard probably makes the most sense. He's got the good arm length to open the front door on that right-handed power run game uh, that they've used a little bit less these last few weeks. Yeah, you know, you could be right, but uh, to me, uh, the Ravens, they can always surprise you. Um, you know, I, Phillips was not supposed to be, or I can't say was supposed to be, he wasn't the favorite to be the starting right guard when training camp opened. Even uh, early in the season, uh, when, when Ronnie Stanley was hurt, uh, you didn't know if they were going to make the switch to Orlando going to left tackle or, 
or go with someone else at left tackle. So now that Orlando's made that switch, uh, to me, the right tackle position is going to be interesting to see who's there and a right guard too. It, Powers certainly is a favorite to, to step in and get an opportunity to play. But again, I think the Ravens, unlike more so than maybe even some teams, feel like it's the five five guys working together who's the five best because they require their offensive linemen to do a lot in a Greg Roman offense. And they're going to want to see some of the plays that they prefer to run, uh, which guys can move into positions and make the blocks that they want to go with. So I, I'm fascinated to see what, what's going to come out this week um, because, again, I don't think it's, you can just lock anything and say take that to the bank as far as who's going to be there. Uh, I would never do that, by the way. <laughs> right, right, right. I mean, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. Yeah. So uh, I, I, I mentioning the combination, though, the combination of Powers and McCary on that right side is one of the reasons why I think a Powers-McCary is more likely than a McCary-Fluker right side this next week. We may, we may see it otherwise. McCary obviously has arm length limitation. Powers has played well. Both of them played well together. So it... it I guess I would I would not be shocked by anything, but I will be mildly surprised if if Powers is not in that. Let's move on. I don't want to beat this to death. Fluker cratered really in this game. Uh, in one half, he gave up one and a half pressures, a third of a sack, 15 yards in penalties. His hands were way outside the frame of whoever he's blocking. It's almost looked like he was hugging him at times. Oftentimes, he would even maintain that hug when he was behind the block, meaning the other player was on his way to the quarterback and he's still maintaining that. That's a good way to pick up penalties. The, the Patriots were screaming about it for most of the first uh, couple quarter, for most of the first quarter anyway, before they f- he finally got called for a hold in the second quarter and then pulled. Uh, tough game for him. I still think his best posi- position might be guard. Very grateful for what he did in right tackle for two games here. And I think the Fra- Ravens are frankly lucky to get out of the first half without the game giving away. Uh, you know, the way the way things went with the combination of play at center and right tackle. Yeah, I mean, tough game for DJ, no question. Um, you know, you have to wonder, yeah, what what's going to happen now moving forward. John Harbaugh definitely made a point to say this is not the end, you know, saying that, you know, you, you it's not definitely not going to see any more of him. But uh, it was obvious that, you know, he, he was having some issues and they made the change. Uh, they they knew they knew what was going on too, and felt that that was what they needed to do to, to make a change with him not being in the lineup to have a chance to win that game. So, you know, Fluker was brought here for his experience. Uh, when you're put in that position, you know they're counting on you, obviously, to bring some stability to the situation. Um, we'll see what go happens going forward, uh, but. Yeah, that was definitely a step back for him. And, yes, for these young players now, uh, if you want an opportunity to play, uh, here it is. Yeah, one of the reasons, I, I guess, that the Ravens didn't go with Fluker at right guard wasn't just that they liked him at tackle. It's that they had a much bigger upside with a first-year player, a second-year player, and a second-year player to have one of those three work out. And they've given all three of them a chance now with between Phillips, McCary, and now Powers at right guard. If one of those works out, you get three more years out of that player, including this one, or maybe you get four if it's Phillips. 
But if Fluker is here, you know, he's only signed through the end of this year. So they they really they had a much bigger upside benefit to having one of those young players win the job. And they they certainly have given every opportunity for that to occur. Right. I mean, they do have a lot. Of, as you mentioned, there's a lot of young, young talent there with this unit. And, uh, you know, most you do want to give young players time to develop, not throw them out there to the wolves if they're not ready. But obviously, Phillip showed enough in a, in a season where there was no rookie camps and mini camps. I mean, that's very impressive for a guy like like Phillips to come in and win a starting job in a year like this. And yeah, obviously, Bo's been another young player who they're very high on. And we've already talked about McCary. Those are three guys who definitely look like they have, you know, a future here in Baltimore. And then now Powers may have an opportunity to show the same thing. So... That's the idea to keep building, you know, young players that you can grow with. And again, they have a lot of flexibility. They just have to find a combination that A, can work and B, can stay healthy. There you go. All right, let's move on. Talk a little bit about Lamar Jackson in this game. Lamar's taken some heat, obviously, nationally for the game he had. I thought he played really well, perhaps even exceptionally well for the circumstances with the rain. We saw drops involved. I thought he moved around the pocket fairly well. Didn't maybe take every run opportunity I wanted, but I generally very positive about the game he had. Yeah, I was too. Uh, certainly it was another game. You know, it, we've, he's heard his whole career about not being able to come back when the Ravens were down, you know, and, and he almost did it two weeks in a row. So, yeah, Lamar, I mean, I think the biggest frustration he has in the whole offensive has right now is that they can't seem to get any splash plays that uh, if every drive has to be, you know, not dink and dunk, but methodical, uh, you know, can't seem to create a situation where they can go over the top of a defense and, you know, get a big play. Now, against the Patriots, they have a really good secondary, and that can be extremely hard to do. I know the Jets had some big plays against them in their previous game, but that's not usually the norm. But this has been a theme for the Ravens all year that, you know, they talked about wanting to have big plays in the passing game heading into the season, and it just hasn't materialized. So as far as Lamar is concerned, though, I think he's playing, you know, pretty well. And definitely, to me, he's trending upward this this season. Um, he's not, you know, putting up the spectacular numbers he did last year. But I, I feel good about Lamar going down the stretch that you know he's going to play well and the Ravens obviously will need him to play well uh to do what they want to do yeah to your to your point about the big plays the the pass they had a pass to Edwards which went for 31 yards but that was a shorter pass that that was almost all after the catch uh otherwise our longest play was for 21 to Snead that had some after the catch to it too so they didn't really have any long passes in this game. Nothing that was nothing that was twenty plus yards in the air. Um, that that was uh, you know a positive throw there. So I agree completely on the on that. Now against New England, they really got when they did try their deep shots. They tried one down the left sideline at the end of the first half that fell incomplete, and frankly was fortunate to be incomplete because the defensive back had position. And then they threw it one at the very end of the at the first half that was intercepted by J.C. Jackson. Right. Uh- Maybe Lamar's worst throw tonight, or certainly the worst outcome, uh, because mm-hmm. you know you don't want to give away three points in that situation for sure. But 
you know, I do feel that collectively the offense is a little frustrated that they can't get to those plays. And, you know, we'll see what, what happens. Um, I, I should mention, uh, we have talked about Willie Sneed. I think he's a guy who the last three or four weeks has played really well. I mean, a lot of stuff he does is unsung, you know, his blocking. Uh, he's very, very rarely sometimes the number one option on some of these routes, but he's really stepped up in a big way, I think, the last three weeks. And he could be a guy going down these last seven games that becomes a key factor. The Ravens always, any team needs somebody on third downs who can move the chains. We know Mark Andrews can do that, but Willie Sneed, you know, with all his experience, his toughness, able to line up in, in certain positions and, you know, shorthanded guy, I think he could be a guy who can help them, particularly in a season where they're not getting a lot of big plays, stay on the field on third down, get some first downs, and do some of the things he's been doing over the last couple of weeks. We've mentioned a little bit on the show about Sneed's the great year he's having, but yards per target, probably the most important statistic for a receiver and Snead now has 356 yards on 33 targets which is 10 and two-thirds per there's only been one receiver in the history of the Baltimore Ravens who's ever been in that neighborhood and that's Mark Andrews with 11.04 in his rookie year so you know Todd Heap never did it Torrey Smith never did it none of those guys so if Willie Snead can finish with this kind of a kind of a record which is doubtful they'll probably throw to him more and he'll have some shorter receptions but uh, he's, he's already made an enormous contribution to this season. So uh, absolutely love what he's done. Uh, let's talk scheme, Cliff. What what in this game did you see that maybe was new to you or you didn't like or was some place where they didn't take advantage of the Patriots or just anything you'd really like to discuss about scheme from this one? Well, more than, more than scheme, uh, I just feel like, you know, Gus Edwards is a guy who I never had. I never come out of a game saying like, "Well, they gave it to Gus too much." You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like he uh, talk about a guy who runs north and south, but he's not. He's not a flashy runner, but he's not a mechanical runner. Uh, he finds he has really good vision, and and even though he he's not a shake and bake guy, if he has to move over a hole or two to find the opening, you know, to get through the hole, he'll do that. Um, what no matter the weather. You know, whether it's fast track or wet track, uh, he, he's running with authority and he's he's awfully fresh. I just like seeing Gus um, with opportunities to get in rhythm. And, you know, Mark Ingram coming back is certainly a, a plus. Uh, they've got such a deep running back room. That's been a thing him all year. Who's going to get the most touches? How they're going to work it out? Blase, blase. But, yeah, I mean, again, I just feel like Gus, again, is having – uh, another solid year. I think he's a better back now than he was when the Ravens first got him. And this, as the season goes along, when defenses get a little more tired and tackling to me becomes uh, a little more shaky, just like he's done in the past here, I think Gus Edwards could be a guy who late in the season could come up huge for the Ravens if he gets opportunities. Yeah, it's, it's amazing, but Gus is basically on pace for the same year he had his first two years in the NFL. A little bit lower yards per carry, but basically the same yards. And I agree, I think he's been a huge, huge benefit to the Ravens. You know what I love about his running style is conservation of momentum. The guy, he makes a cut so he doesn't have to give up too much speed to do it. And so you see him kind of, he almost moves what I would call snakily 
when he makes his move. And, he, and he, he's not just a one-cut guy. He's really a guy who can make one cut, then get back to north very quickly. And, and I'm, I'm impressed by that running style. And that's why I think he gets more yards in level two than people really realize is he's able to, able to quickly readjust uh, to be going in the right direction, north and south direction. Yeah, that's a good way to describe it. I mean, uh, that's it in a nutshell. He, when you give him the ball, you pretty much he's going to get everything you could get out of that run. Usually, uh, he he just doesn't waste he doesn't waste motion, doesn't waste steps. You're right. It's a little bit difficult for me to throw a lot on this game played under such sloppy conditions and, you know, micro-inspect things that didn't work. But this was a very unimpressive line that the Patriots fielded against the Ravens in this game. You know, Carl Davis played a big role in this game for them. I, you know, an old Raven hand, of course. And Lawrence Guy is probably their top defensive line. Now they have Dietrich Wise. He's pretty good, too, on the inside. But, but anyway... They, they don't field a all-star crew. And they had the same problems the Ravens did of not really having a nose tackle who could stand his ground in this game. Obviously a problem for Ellis, but a problem for them as well. And the Patriots just did a much better job of taking advantage of that. They do have an excellent offensive line, but I was, you know, it was, it was a shame that with Boyle and Ricard to go with the offensive line the Ravens do have, they were not able to take more advantage in terms of what they could do in the run game. Yeah, and, you know, because of the... Patriots were running the football and chewing up clock. I mean, that that hurt the Ravens too. That they were never able to take control of the game, you know, from that standpoint and, and kind of dictate tempo and really make that line pay for having to stay out on the field for a long time. I mean, yeah, the Ravens last year they would go through games without any three and outs. Uh, mm-hmm. It was just you know now now it's me bringing up last year, which I hate to do, but. <laughs> So I'll I'll take that I'll take that hit, but yeah, I mean, if you want to make a, a defense, it you know as you said, that's that's certainly not one of the top fronts in the league. If you want to make them pay, you've got to stay out there and put drives together. And the Ravens still want to be more consistent offensively. They definitely show you drives that ninety-four yard drive they had against the Patriots. Mm-hmm. They put that drive together. You're thinking, all right, you know, coming off what they did in the second half against the Colts and then putting a drive like that together that early in the game, you're thinking, okay, they've got it figured out now. But it just doesn't seem like they can sustain that, you know, for, for most games. It's, it's hit or miss, hit or miss. And that's something they, they want to correct moving forward. I've got to tie together a couple of points you made here. You, you talked about them not getting the splash plays, and then we're liking the long drives. 2019, and, and this year when they've been successful against the Colts and then in this, in this game against the Patriots, long drives of short plays are better than a lot of huge chunk plays to get down the field a lot of the time. And the reason I say that is they eat up, they eat it up more clock is not important. They eat up more defensive snaps. And that's what really grinds down an opposing defense. It's not really the clock as much. And, and that's what I loved so much about watching the 2019 team play is, you know, they're basically, they could do whatever they wanted with the football for as long as they want, go for it on fourth down. And it was driven by a series success rate that was not only at the top of the NFL overall, meaning every three downs they got, they had the highest probability of getting a first down, but also when they ran the ball on first down, and this is extremely rare, they still had the highest series success rate in the NFL because they were basically unchanged between run or pass on first down. That's unheard of. It breaks all the rules of modern football 
in terms of series success rate. Almost anybody will tell you, any analyst out there, you pass on first down, you're more likely to get a first down on that set of downs. Yeah, I mean, as you mentioned, they did almost whatever they wanted, which, you know, when it's second and four, second or three, you can basically do almost anything you want. And, mm-hmm. you know, this year, I def- there's definitely been a concerted effort, effort among opponents to, I think, try and take Lamar out of the out of the running attack um particularly particularly inside runs if you know this it's force him outside make sure that he's he doesn't get into the teeth of, of your defense running running the football and so Lamar obviously to me is still the best running quarterback in football but teams def, definitely are making it a point to try and take away his, his big runs the runs that really hurt you then with the offensive line not being as dominant as it was last year, that's made it harder for the backs to find the same success that they had last year. So, yeah, I mean, the Ravens still, they, they have the best rushing attack in the NFL still, but it doesn't seem like it to me this year. It doesn't feel like it. You know, you're you're not coming away from games like, man, the Ravens just really, you know, pounded that. They just ran however they want to. The Patriots, what they did to the Ravens uh, in the first half, Monday or Sunday night, that's what the Ravens were doing to teams week after week. So that's really big for the Ravens. Uh, As much as I've been talking about hitting big plays, that is not to say that the bread and butter for them moving down the stretch should still not be finding a way to run the football consistently so that they can stay out of these second and long and third and long situations. There you go. Let's talk about Marquise Brown for a second. Uh, he's now in the last three games has only caught six of 13 balls for 55 yards. That's 4.2 yards per target. And you know how I feel about yards per target from the discussion earlier. Better weather and field co- conditions can certainly help. He only caught two out of six in this game. A couple of things I was upset about. A player like that really can't get squeezed to the sideline by a defensive back there. And J.C. Jackson is fast. But Marquise Brown is faster, and he should be beating him down that sideline. And if he's the ball shouldn't be thrown unless he's even and leaving, right? So it bothers me that a player like that is getting squeezed to the sideline by any defensive back, frankly. Well, Marquise, tremendously talented player, uh, still a young player. Um, That, to me, uh, should not be overlooked. He and and teams are playing tremendous attention to him uh, to try and contain him because he's such a big play threat. So that's a challenge that all good players face that, you know, you're going, you're not going to sneak up on anybody. Everybody knows how fast this guy is. Everybody knows the chemistry he has with Lamar and that the Ravens want to get the ball in his hands more than they have. So yeah, he's going to have to find ways to, you know, free himself, whether it's getting off the line of scrimmage or once he gets vertical, he has to make sure that he's in position to catch some of these deep balls. Lamar is going to have to be on target when he throws the marquee, particularly deep, because even with his speed, these plays where he's just leaving guys uh, and catching people off guard, I just don't feel that there's going to be a lot of that, that some of these some of these balls, if he's going to make big plays, are going to, have to be really good throws. Uh, with not a lot of room to work with. And we saw Lamar drop some great dimes to him in the past. Uh, that's what That would have made, made be what it takes to get him going. And, you know, they may have to just 
to me, throw, throw it to him a little more short, you know, and, and let him use his, his running ability after the catch. But if, if Marquise is not a bigger part of the offense than he has been recently, then, yeah, I do think it is going to be, you know, harder for the Ravens to move the ball the way they want to. So he is a key player moving forward. He's certainly capable of making big plays. I think it's something the Ravens are going to continue to try and get him the football. And, and for their sake, hopefully they'll, they'll start doing a better job and he'll start doing a better job of making that happen. Yeah. I, uh, there's, there's, this is a very deep topic. We could obviously talk a lot more about it, but what he did early in the season last year, I think was there were there are other elements in play where he can protect himself from having the sideline used as a defender more than he is this year. And obviously, I also would like him to make better plays as a defender himself, uh, as uh, happened on the interception. I didn't I, as didn't really happen on J.C. Jackson's interception. I felt it wouldn't have been an easy play. He would have almost had to tackle him basically to keep that interception from happening. But it seemed like he should have done something, uh, you know, being right there. Yeah, I mean, again, as you said, the last thing you want is a turnover. Uh, if you have to turn into a defensive back and wide receivers have so much liberty, it seems like uh, officials have never really wanted to call, you mm-hmm. know, offensive pass interference as much as they sometimes should. So, yeah, I mean, Marque- again, second year, um, the cliche or what you look for always is for second-year players to make the jump. It's not easy. It's easier said than done. Um, there were a lot of expectations for Marquise this year. I don't think he's a guy who's who worries about his numbers, but he definitely wants to be a part of, you know, helping this team win. And I, I think yeah, it's, it's been a frustrating year for him at times, just like it has been for Lamar and the entire offense. He's just got to, you know, he, he he's a hard worker. I still have expectations that Marquise is going to make some big plays before this season is, is said and done. Yeah, I go along with that. Another player we need to talk about, Devin Duvernay. Now, there's been a migration of snaps from Boykin to Duvernay the last few weeks. Duvernay now up to 55% of the snaps against the Patriots. Boykin down to 29 I still absolutely love Miles Boykin, both as a blocker and what he brings to the table as a receiver even though those tools have not all turned into great receiving results. But you got to love what Duvernay's doing with this opportunity. Yeah, I mean, I love the way Duvernay runs after he catches a football or when he gets a football in his hands. Uh, you know, he, he runs with authority. Uh, he's looking to make something happen. He's not um, playing with any timidness uh, from really the first game to me, it looked like he was comfortable being in the NFL. Like, and I think that, yes, his, uh, his play playing time going up is deserving. Uh, I think that he's a guy that, yes, you have to get him out there and give him a chance to make things happen. Um, so yes, they, the Ravens to get him, uh, to add him to this, to running back room, I think it was, was an excellent pickup, uh, to get him in this draft. I remember, you know, John Harbaugh being so excited when they got him because he was excited watching this guy on tape. It's clear to see why he was. And I think Duvernay could be another guy down the stretch here who becomes more of a factor than he has been. 
Yeah, very very exciting player. 9.7 yards per target for Duvernay. And once again, only about four or five Ravens in in history, only four Ravens in history actually have been at 10 yards per target. So that gives you an idea of just what kind of rarefied air that is. So uh, outstanding year he's having. And, and everybody kind of think, I think wants to see him be a bigger part of the offense down the stretch. Any other skill position players you want to talk about? I think we've hit on all the linemen. We talked about Lamar. We talked about some of the others. Uh, how about um, Mark Andrews and what's happening to him right now? Yeah, well, this is, uh, you know, Nick Boyle being lost for the season. Is You know, he's one of the players who's going to be most affected. Uh, it could be, could lead to more snaps for Andrews. Uh, certainly they're going to, to need him to be, you know, part of the offense as far as making plays himself. And we all know how much teams, opponents try and take him away. So, you know, Mark Andrews, to me, he's always, I've loved him from day one. He's just a guy, he's a complete football player. He certainly has a knack for getting open. And he has great chemistry with Lamar. But, you know, this time, you know, a year ago, he was playing with, you know, Hayden Hurst and Nick Boyle at that position. Now, both of them are gone. So, you know, Mark knows what's what's in front of him. I think he's going to be getting a good night's sleep from here on out because he knows on Sundays, I think that, you know, it's not like he's going to be out there for every snap, but he's a guy that they're going to need him to be the Pro Bowl type caliber tight end that he is. So, you know, keep your fingers crossed, obviously, that, he can stay healthy. You always want all players to stay healthy. But, yeah, the Ravens uh, really need Mark Andrews at that position to, to make things happen. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're pointing out, making a very good point, I think, because now that he is going to be forced into playing something close to 100% of the snaps as the only real receiving tight end the Ravens have left, I, I, I think it's only reasonable to expect an efficiency loss. He played 41% of the snaps last year. was very efficient. He was similar to that in 2018 when he had his really great rookie year. But the more snaps he plays, the less efficient he has tended to be. So I, I think, you know, this year he's down under seven yards a target, which is not good for a tight end. It's not good, period. But it's, it's, not, it's definitely not what we need out of our Pro Bowl tight end at seven yards a target. So I'm, I'm, uh, I'm hopeful that, that he can take his game forward down the stretch. Looks like he has made a lot of progress as a blocker. And it, that's been great to see. I mean, you know, I, this is something I want to ask you. And maybe you could ask a player this too next time you see him and you're allowed to be you know, kind of in the same space cliff. But if you're an offensive lineman, do you keep, or, or a tight end in this case, do you keep a show your grandchildren reel of film, or in this case, obviously a DVD right now that you want to put your very best plays on? So literally your family members 25 years from now, you could show them that and say, yeah, here's, who's, here's who I was. And even their own kids, they'll never really get them to see them play live. They'll be, you know, too young still by the end of their careers in a lot of cases. Yeah, I mean, you know, speaking of Andrews, that blocky head, you yeah, know, in Indianapolis, that's something you want to show your kids or your grandkids. Hey, I was a stud, man. Look what I did to this guy. Um, and yeah, football, you know, it's interesting. You know, the, the 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 lifespan or the career span is just not as long, unfortunately, as so many other sports. I mean, sure, if you're a quarterback and maybe an offensive lineman, uh, you can look forward to maybe having a longer career than other positions. But yeah, I mean, you know, I cover golf for a while at one point in my career and it's really it was really cool a lot of their kids got to see 
their dads when they were still, you know, winning tournaments. You know, you see Tiger Woods now, you know, his kids can actually see him, not as he was, but certainly he's a guy who can still win. Uh, for football players, um, yeah, Marshall Yonder, you know, his last game last year, you know, having his whole family taking pictures and whatnot, it, it goes so quickly. Um, and you just go by and then your career is over. So, you know, the Ravens, they have a young team still. Uh, their core players, very young, in their prime. Some of them haven't even gotten to their prime yet. This is going to be a learning experience these last uh, seven games. The, the Ravens really didn't face a lot of in-season adversity last year. This year, they are. And in the long run, I think that's going to be good for a lot of these young players. In the short run, though, they're going to have to figure out quickly how to adjust if they're going to do what they want to do this season. As in your role in the Ravens media area, would you ever would you consider it presumptuous of yourself to advise a young player that hey, the sands are going to run through the hourglass quickly, and nothing's going to change about your career length by the advice I'm giving? But I'm just going to say, keep records of what's going on so you can show your kids because it's going to be gone before they get to be an age where they can even appreciate it. Yeah, that's an interesting question. I mean, I think for the most part, um, I find it presumptuous to say things to players like that unless, you know, they ask you or unless the conversation leads that way. You know, there are times where you're talking to somebody and, you know, these guys now are a different generation uh, than I am. I, I cover sports and was covering pro sports when I was in my late 20s and early 30s where players were the same age as me, sometimes was actually younger than guys I was interviewing. That doesn't happen anymore. So, <laughs> yeah, I sometimes a player will say something to you where you feel like, you know, it's not just not just because, you know, you're trying to have some type of influence on them. You just feel as a person that you're talking to, just like you, you saw somebody going the wrong way down the street and say, Yo, man, you might want to think about going the other direction. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they're, they're young. But, yeah, the Ravens, that's another thing. They do have – this is a really uh, close-knit team. It's not just hype. Uh, the way they talk about each other and how they, you know, are close on and off the field and care about each other and play well together, that's going to help them these seven games. It doesn't guarantee that you're going to win games, but it definitely helps when everybody – is in it together and you're helping you trying to help each other being successful. So again, I, I just think as Willie Sneed said after Sunday's game, this is, this is going to show kind of what we're made of. Um, and they feel they're made of a lot. So we're going to see. Optimistic like you and, and really nice to have your perspective on the show. Cliff, Josh, what do we have in the mailbag today? All right. And can you keep talking about this highlight reel and highlight DVDs? The kids today have this thing called YouTube <laughs> okay. where they can just type in their dad's name and get all the highlights. Well, that's nice. So, I wonder if they I can mean, get each specific offensive lineman block yeah. where he made a two. And no, <laughs> no, no. But but I guarantee they can search them and find what they care about. Imagine if your dad sat down and said, here, let me show you my highlights from work today. Uh, you got you to gotta wait for them the to ask the question. You got to wait for them to ask the question. You say, oh, I just happened to have a DVD here. All, All right, right. Let's hit the mail back. Yeah, and they'll, say, and they'll say, what's a DVD? <laughs> <laughs> so, 
All right, we got a little bit in the mailbag, and the theme for this mailbag is play calling because people have a lot of questions about why John called what on Sunday. So you can get in your questions on Twitter using the hashtag film study mailbag. All right, first one up is what is the rationale coaching reason for putting in Hill in for the series of three plays inside the 10-yard line instead of Edwards or Dobbins or Ingram? And then they ended up settling for a field goal and not being able to get in. All right, I'll, I'll take a shot on this, and Cliff, I want to hear your opinion on this too. Mm-hmm. I, I did not really see a reason to have a fourth running back in the game. I think the reason they had Hill active was for special teams primarily and for coverage. So I don't think it was really about that as much. And you know, it, the last game of the season last year, when it mattered to Pittsburgh, it really didn't matter to us. Hill was a hell of an impressive running back inside the 10-yard line and had a power run where he broke a couple tackles for a touchdown. I don't really have a problem with it. Hill makes the offense a little more dangerous in terms of where you can, having to defend more of the field. Maybe that's somewhat useful down at that spot on the field, but uh, I don't think there's an enormous difference between the backs the Ravens have since they have a lot of talent in all four. Oh, you know, I like all four backs, but I do feel that, you know, trying to get four running backs involved uh, could complicate things some. Um, it doesn't always have to be the same guys every week. Um, I think it's great to have the deep running back room that they have. But, yeah, I mean, again, I, I love, uh, you know, some of the things Gus Edwards can do. Um, I believe that Ingram now being his body being fresh, he's a guy that, you know, I think could help them. And then, you know, Do- Dobbins, you love his explosiveness too. So even though Hill has a lot of talent, Four running backs at times, trying to get all of them involved, I think could could make things a little complicated. But so we'll see. So we'll see what they do moving forward. All right. Uh, speaking of Ingram, the direct snap to Ingram. What does it show the defense different that just Lamar back there doesn't show? Well, it gives you a little bit different style of runner. Uh, back there, you know, I don't know what they did in terms of playing Lamar on that play. I know he split wide left, but I didn't really watch what the defensive back did on that play. Uh, Ingram, they've been successful with that direct snap play before, so it's not like it hasn't worked, and it usually works for positive yardage, and they only needed one in that situation. So there actually are a lot of things I like about it. Uh, Probably less injury risk for Lamar is one of the positive things I'd point to as well. Yeah, and I mean... You know, it's funny when these plays work. You don't you don't get these questions. It's not like <laughs> it's not like they're that like right. they're bad questions. But the reason why I think we're scrutinizing scrutinizing them more is because it didn't work. And obviously, as you mentioned, they've had success with that play. But that you can't. That's the snap there. You just yeah. can't have that. And you know now you wonder moving forward. Okay, will they avoid more situations where? You have to make that, you know, the long snap will will lead to them, you know, getting away from some of these plays, particularly in key situations. That's something else to, to watch moving forward. Yeah, I think, you know, the, the analogy I'd make is why did you bet red on that last spin at roulette? I mean, it's just <laughs> it's, we lost. Why? You know, why? <laughs> so it's just silliness. What else you got, Josh? Oh, well, the silliness is going to continue <laughs> when the with the bad weather and the bad snaps. Why did they stay in the shotgun position? I mean, the Ravens' offense is not built to run from under center. They, they'd, they'd be cutting out 
90% of their playbook to do so, uh, they, they'd have to move back to traditional play actions. I think that's, that's the best reason I can give. Anything to add to that? No, and I think, you know, we, we talked about Lamar, but he deserves, I think, we didn't talk about how well he threw the football in, in those conditions. I, to me, it looked like even though Cam Newton is not, you know, the most pinpoint thrower in the world by any stretch, looked like he was having more problems throwing the football in those conditions than Lamar was. And I saw a quote, I think, about Newton saying was like throwing a medicine ball. Lamar <laughs> didn't seem to be having any issues with the wet football. And, you know, as a rookie, that was an issue for him. Not so much wet footballs, but turnovers in general. Since since he uh, his rookie year, he's really done a really good job as far as fumbles taking care of the football. All right. And here's my favorite one we'll close out the mailbag with. I know we will miss Boyle blocking, but watching the game live, I knew whether we run, were running left or running right, depending on where he was lined up. So without him, do you think that'll help us be less predictable? Maybe, but the kind of the whole point of having a blocking tight end like that is you get an extra guy at the point of attack and trade off with an extra guy in the box. So even if it's a little bit less predictable, it doesn't mean it's less, it's more effective. Right. Execution is always the key. I mean, yeah, Patriots look like at times, you know, you they could have said where they were running the football. If you can't, if you can't get to the point of attack, you're getting blocked, then it doesn't matter. The Titans, the team they played Sunday. Their plays, I'm not going to say they're predictable, but you pretty much know Derrick Henry is going to touch the rock a lot. A lot of times you can tell which way they want to run, but can you be physical enough to stop them? Because if you can't, it doesn't even matter. Going to be a real test. Right. Yeah, if you're running, if you're surprising them every time with what direction you're running, but you don't get past the line of scrimmage, it doesn't really matter. <laughs> right. uh, all right, uh, Cliff. We talked at the beginning of the show about Black in the NFL and that podcast going on. What's your Twitter handle and stuff that people can follow you with as well? Thanks. Uh, my Twitter handle is uh, Clifton G. Brown, C-L-I-F-T-O-N-G as in George Brown, or at Clifton G. Brown. And Black in the NFL you can find on the Ravens website. If you go to BaltimoreRavens.com, uh, click on audio, all of our podcasts will come up. Um, we have the lounge with my colleagues Ryan Mink. And Garrett Downing. Then we have What Happened to That Guy with John Eisenberg. Two other interesting podcasts. And then you can also find Black and NFL on the Ravens website as well. So as you mentioned, we put out the fourth fourth episode today. It comes out every other week. You know, things I love about podcasts is, you know, you don't have to listen to it at any certain time. You control when you listen to it, riding in the car, whatever. So, and you got to listen to it all at one time. But I'm really enjoying Doing the, doing the podcast, uh, we've had some interesting topics, uh, getting some good feedback. So, yeah, please uh, please check it out. Not just my podcast, but the other two. I think they're all interesting if, if you like football. And also, you know, now with my content, kind of podcast, talking to players and other people about things outside of football as well. Yeah, just like Film Study, I uh, all these podcasts are available in your favorite podcast app that you use. So go subscribe and download all of them. Ken, uh, filmstudybaltimore.com. Articles are up, and we've got a uh, new Situation Room came out this morning, and more podcasts coming out this week. More podcasts coming out this week. This one uh, you'll be listening to, we hope, on Wednesday 
On Thursday, we'll have the Know Your Foe episode up there and available. On Friday, we'll have By the Numbers uh, with Dan Reese. So that'll be a lot of fun. And we've got the offensive line article, which will be either late tomorrow on that, uh, sorry, late on Wednesday or early on Thursday, one of the two. All right, that sounds great. All right, guys, well, we will talk next time. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G. Because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from RootMetric's second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement. Introducing the Lowe's List for Innovation. While our aisles are filled with innovative products, we've selected our favorites just for you. 
like the exclusive Whirlpool washer with industry-first two-in-one removable agitator. We love this washer because you can customize any load. And with other smart features to streamline your laundry routine, this product is a must-have for families. Shop the full Lowe's list of top picks at Lowe's.com. Lowe's, home to any budget, home to any possibility. U.S. only.